good morning. It is good to be with you, and I'm so grateful that we have this opportunity as we kind of come to this ending uh, note that we're putting on this passage of Scripture, and we get excited about for what God has for us in our next couple of weeks. I know that you're going to be praying with us as we go through that. Uh, it's hard for me to believe that last, uh, this is the last Sunday in May, but you know, last week we've had some really warm weather that's kind of hinted at summer and made us believe that it's really right around the corner. And as you well know that we've been in phase two of the mayor's plan this week, and that means that we're on track from what we told you uh, with our video that we sent out a couple of weeks ago, kind of with that mid-June time frame in mind. And I want to just kind of give you this idea. We're targeting June 14th. And notice that I said the word targeting. Plan doesn't change. Target date may change if there's anything outside of our control. But that's our plan uh, for right now. And so you'll hear a little bit more about that in the coming weeks. I think the thing that uh, just I'm reminded of over and over again during this time period is that we need to be flexible and fluid. A number of years ago, I went on a mission trip and the missionary in prepping us to go said that it was really important that we adopted an attitude of fluidity. And he said, you know, if you think of yourself and your trip and your purpose like water, you'll do really well because water just conforms to whatever it's put in. And he said, life is going to change when you get on scene here. There's no doubt. We're going to put you in a different container than maybe what you thought. But the essence of who you are, the essence of your trip doesn't change. And that's exactly how we need to be right now as a church. We need to be flexible and fluid. And I thank you for that. I thank you that you've been flexible in that. I was talking to Pastor Rich just a couple of weeks ago, and we were kind of laughing that everything we ever learned in seminary, there's not hardly any of it that would have prepared us to lead a church in 2020. It changes so much, and what we're facing has changed so much. But I'm so grateful that our message hasn't changed, our mission hasn't changed, and we know that whatever comes, we can just be flexible and fluid and adapt to that. And I'm so grateful that you've done that. I'm grateful for our staff. I want to just tell you, I'm so proud of our staff during this time. They have done a wonderful job helping us through this time. I believe that we have the best staff that we've ever had. We're positioned for a great run as a church with the men and women that God has brought on our staff. And I'm so grateful for them. I'm also grateful for our volunteers. Our volunteers have done incredible things, especially our life group leaders. Life group leaders, thank you for working so hard to adapt to these circumstances, have Zoom classes, have conference call classes, uh, th thinking about meeting outside, all of those things. Thank you for that. We're so grateful for how you're working hard to do that. And I especially want to thank today three people who have made this possible. You don't realize this because they touch everything that we do, but you never see them. I want to thank Brad Bass and Eric Uplinger and Presley Ray. They have done a fantastic job in helping us navigate this season uh, that we're in. And so as we get started this morning, let me just take this opportunity to invite the Lord to be with us. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time, and we thank you for this season, even though it's difficult. We thank you for this series, Lord, that we've been in. And we ask you to speak today through your word. Father, speak through me. Open our eyes to see your word clearly. Open our ears to hear. And may our hearts be willing to apply the truth as you speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we are going to finish our I Am uh, Statements series. We've done seven of these. This is our seventh 
And as we kind of got into this, I thought that it would be great for us if we could to finish out all of our coronavirus with a seven-week series. And it just so happened God led me to this. And we've almost done that. It looks like we'll have one kind of pivoting uh, sermon as we get ready for our reopening. But that's been just okay. And it's been good for us to hear the words of God through Jesus Christ. We've been able to hear him speak words about God uh, from his own mouth. And I think that's been great. Uh, For this last one, we're studying this statement, I am the vine. I am the vine. And if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John 15, that's where we'll be today. That's our text. The imagery of the vine is actually found throughout the Old Testament. And I should say this today, if you don't have a pen and paper, you're probably going to want one because I'm going to reference a good bit of scripture that uh, some of them won't even be on the screen, but they're going to be helpful to you as you think about this. But if you look at Psalm number 80 and look at verses 8 through 10, what you'll see there is a really clear representation of what God was doing. He said, I'm taking you out of Egypt and I'm going to clear the land for you and plant you as a vine. He was talking about the nation of Israel there. And it's a beautiful picture of that. But elsewhere in the Old Testament, it actually gives us a picture of the vine that's not so good. It says the fruit is unusable, that it's corrupt, that it's not worth anything because Israel wasn't staying true to God. And And so Jesus comes and he says something, I think that's in stark contrast when he says, I am the true vine. And he's going to say that he is the vine twice in the passage that we'll read today. So let's read from John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You're already clean because the word I have spoken to you remain in me and I in you just as the branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he's thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask what you want and it will be done for you. My father's glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love just as I've kept my father's commands and remain in his love. There are four different actors that are or, or participants in this parable that Jesus gives. The first is Jesus himself where he says that I am the true vine. Then there's God the Father who says that Jesus says about him that he's the gardener. And then there's the branch that doesn't produce fruit and there's the branch that does produce fruit. Now as we look at that with our understanding of the Old Testament and this imagery of the vine, what we begin to see immediately is this clear contrast that I mentioned before. Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. Now I think what that means for us, if we're going to understand that, is that everything that was in the past, your ethnicity, you being part of the nation, all the blessings and the benefits from that, those aren't coming because you're part of that anymore. It's coming when you come to Jesus Christ. Now we've seen that in the I am statements because every one of them has been leading us to understand that all the blessings and the benefits from God the Father come through Jesus Christ the Son. And that's the only way that we can receive those and appropriate those in our lives. Now, as we read verse 1, I doubt that any of us have any issue with what verse 1 says, but verse 2 is where it gets really interesting. I want to read it for us again. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce 
more fruit. Now, I think there's been a lot of confusion about this verse as people look at it, particularly as it relates to the branch that is pruned that is not producing fruit. And and some people wonder about that. Was this talking about a lost person who is then cast aside, and, and that's what it means later on when it talks about they're burned up in the fire? Or is this talking about a person who was saved and then lost their salvation and they're cast aside? into hell or is this talking about something different but I really think if we kind of logically work through it what we can see is that the answer is probably simpler than what we want to make it sometimes if we just deal with the first one for a moment if we understand it to be a about a lost person uh, then I think we we have a misunderstanding here because I don't think that that's what it's talking about at all because the language of the parable is all about producing fruit it's all about being in Christ did you notice that it says that in Christ in me. It says that the branch is pruned off, but the language there says in Christ and in me. And a lost person is never in Christ. And so if we were to think about this, I want to say it to you like this. Uh, This parable, I don't believe has anything to do with a lost person. You may remember a couple of weeks ago, I told you there was going to be a shift in the I am statements and they were going to be not directed anymore to Jesus's adversaries or people who were seekers. It was really going to be all directed from then on towards those who were already Christ followers. And this one specifically is really about bearing fruit in Christ. And we shouldn't lose the message of the parable there because if we do, we're making it about something that I don't think it intends to be. It really is about being in Christ. And over the last six or six weeks or so, I've really done my best to point you to Jesus Christ if you're not a Christ follower. I've tried to get you to see that he's the bread of life, that he's the doorway, the gate, that there is no other way for you to come to Christ. But unfortunately today, this parable doesn't have anything to do with that. So let me make this admonition to you. I have no doubt that many of you have been considering the claims of Christ. Many of you have been thinking about what it would mean to be a Christ follower. Let me give you this encouragement this morning. Do it today. Do it today. We don't have the time that we think we have. Last week, I just had the opportunity, if you want to call it that, to be part of a funeral service for my aunt. My aunt was in great health And she died like that. God called her home. She was a believer. And I'm so grateful that our family is made up of believers. I'm so grateful that her children, her husband are believers. I'm so grateful for that because she was a believer. We know where she is, but we don't have the time that we think we do. In an instant, God could call our number. Our our time could be up on this earth. And so if you're considering the claims of Christ, let me just encourage you, repent of your sins Give your life to Christ. Do it today. Don't wait for that perfect opportunity. Now is the perfect opportunity because you still have an ability, a time where you can do that. So let's deal with that second question. And if it's not about a lost person, then could it be about a person who is in Christ who loses their salvation? Can we lose our salvation? Well, I don't believe that we can. I think that the scripture says that salvation is not something that we really had anything to do with, that we really had anything to do with. Jesus saves us. Jesus holds us in his hand. Jesus keeps us for eternity. So what could we possibly do to lose that salvation? And people say, well, what about people that came to church and then it seems like they abandoned the faith? Do you remember that last fall on Sunday nights we studied the book of 1 John and it talked about there are people who went out from us because they were not of us. They, they weren't actually saved. And the parable of the sower that Jesus gave illustrates this perfectly, that there are people where it seems like faith really springs up, but all of a sudden the cares of this world, the pride of life, uh, the, the, the pursuit of riches and wealth, those kind of things choke out that faith, that they weren't really saved. 
They, they weren't saved. They weren't lasting. So it, it's important for us to see that. And, and so what then could it be? Well, I think that the scripture talks about this in a couple of different places. And, and I want you to think about it in terms of this. There's something in heaven that we often don't think about, and that has to do with reward. I was just reading about this this week in my daily Bible reading. I ran across this verse, and it fit perfectly with this. It's from 2 John, and it's actually verse 8. You know, it, it says to us uh, that, that when we are in Christ, we need to work hard to keep our reward. That, that's important for us to understand. Well, if, if we were to go back to that, keep thinking about this for a second. How could I lose my salvation? Jesus has said that everything that is, is done in me, the, the work that was started in me, is going to be taken to completion. But, but John says that it is possible for us to lose some of our reward, right? Well, well, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 15 where he says, If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved as only going through a fire. Well, we, shouldn't, uh, we should understand this then as our rewards in heaven. It, it may be that, that we could be pruned away as unuseful. And, and I want you to think about that. When we think about this, it's important for us to understand that there's nothing worse in our lives than being unuseful to the kingdom. I see Christians sometimes that end up and they're like withered vines, withered branches. They don't have any joy anymore. They don't have any purpose anymore. They're not fulfilling their purpose in Christ. They're basically useless to the kingdom. And there's nothing worse than a worthless, useless Christian. You know, they've been saved, but, but they, they're just not doing anything for the kingdom. They're not growing in the kingdom. And we need to understand that there's a point to this parable, and the point of this parable is that we're growing. Now, to do that, there are two key words that Jesus used, and I want us to kind of bear down on these because they become really crucial to our understanding of the parable. Two action words. The first is pruning. The second is is remaining. Now, verse 2 tells us the father who is identified as the gardener works in the vineyard and what he's doing is that he's pruning. It's the same word for cleaning. It says that he's pruning back the branches and that's important because there, the vine needs to grow and produce fruit but if the vine just grows, if the branches just grow out of control, what starts to happen is if, if they grow unwieldy, they don't produce as much fruit. The reason for that is because they have tons of leaves and shoots coming off of those branches that rob it of the ability to produce more fruit. So what the vine dresser does, the gardener does, is he comes and he cuts those back so that it may produce as much fruit as possible. And that's what's important for us to see here. This parable is all about producing fruit. And when we talk about producing fruit, it's in keeping with righteousness. So for that to happen, the father has to prune away all of the things in our lives that don't need to be there so that we can produce the maximum amount of fruit. You see this threefold progression in the parable where it says produce fruit, produce more fruit, produce much fruit. And that's the, the goal of our lives is to produce fruit. Well, what are we talking about when we talk about this fruit? Well, if you look at Galatians 5.22, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit and tells us to produce fruit in keeping with righteousness, right? And it lists these things for us, love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And it tells us that we're to do that. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 11 tells us that we're to produce the fruit of righteousness, the works of righteousness. We're to do that. Romans 6 and verse 22 tells us that we're to produce the fruit of righteousness and sanctification in our life. That's just a big word that means we become more and more holy, more and more like Jesus. And so this fruit in our lives is about the character of our lives. It's about God producing something in our lives that looks like him. We produce more and more fruit. And I've said this to you so many times, but I think it's so important and it's worth repeating again. In many ways, the longer you walk with Christ, the simpler things become. You know, you find a rhythm to reading your Bible and growing in the Lord. You find a a rhythm to worshiping the Lord. You you find a rhythm to serving the Lord. And, And that just becomes natural. The longer that you kind of walk with the Lord, it gets simpler. But on the other hand, I think in many ways it gets more complicated. Because things that were okay for you last year won't cut it this year. And and you say, what do you mean by that? Well, the pruner, the Lord, starts to come in with those pruning shears. And he starts to clip away those things in our lives that don't need to be there. Things like attitudes, actions, vocabulary, habits. Things that were okay last year. Maybe places we used to go. Even friends that we used to associate with sometimes. God begins to prune those things back because they're not building Christ-likeness in our lives. And so as he does that, he cuts those things out so we can bear more fruit and be more like Christ. And as you think about it, that kind of leads you to that second word, because the first word is all about God's work in our lives. And the second word has to do with us. So he does the pruning, we do the remaining or abiding, your Bible may say, remaining or abiding. And my brother-in-law, Justin, and I were just talking about this last Sunday night as we were hanging out in my garage for a minute, I was just telling him that sometimes I just get antsy. I just want to make things happen. And I I just want to, I want to try to do something. And I find myself just kind of, kind of, I don't know how to describe it. Almost like my skin's crawling. I want to make something happen so much. And then I come to this passage this week and start studying it. And the Lord just hits you right between the eyes with this. Our job is to remain. That's your job. If we were to think about what that word means in the modern English language, some words that you might associate with it would be stay, continue, hang around, right? To remain, to abide, to stay with the Lord, to continue with the Lord, to hang around with the Lord, to be in him in that way is really important for us to understand. That sounds really simplistic, doesn't it? Just remain, just stay, just abide, just hang around. And it's so simple, it's really hard. It's, it's like getting all of your fruits and vegetables. You know, you ought to eat three to five servings, fruits and vegetables a day. And while you know to do it, you know how hard it is to get that done. It's really simple. We have the ability in this country to do that, and yet we struggle with the very simple. I want you to listen to what Leon Morris says about this, because it's so poignant. My hope is that it will just kind of wake you up like it did me when I read it. Listen to this. Leon Morris says, the fruit doesn't come from human achievement, but from abiding in Christ. The fruit of righteousness in our life, bearing more fruit, doesn't come from anything that we could achieve on our own. In fact, the exact opposite is true. We can't build spiritual achievement on our own. It only comes when we're connected to Jesus Christ and abiding to him. It won't come from you signing up for three or four more Bible studies or, or doing a bunch of, of, of reading of the Christian bestseller list or, or those types of things. It, it won't come from that. It can't come from that. 
In fact, the opposite might come. You might get puffed up and get prideful with everything you think you're doing and God isn't in any of that stuff. God isn't in any of the human achievement that we might bring. God is about our spiritual achievement and for that to happen, we have to remain in him. We have to be tethered to him. Look back at verse five. I'm the vine, you're the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. That really important word there, I hope you recognize that it's nothing. Nothing, none, nada, zip, zero. You get nothing. You, you can't add anything to it. Without him, you can't do anything. You know, many of us just went through a few days without power when that last line of storms blew, th- blew through Nashville and, and knocked over so many trees. And my parents were without power. And they certainly had a couple of concerns about being without power. Uh, for instance, I bet a lot of you were worried about this one. Uh, you had meat in the freezer, and meat's like gold right now. It's like you're keeping gold in your freezer, and uh, you're worried that it's going to thaw out, and you're going to spoil that meat. You have to cook it or something, and then you'll have a refrigerator to put it in. You lose all of that, right? Uh, but that was one thing that, that they were worried about. There was something they weren't worried about that we kind of came to understand was actually a problem. Uh, just like at my house, they have an alarm system that runs on a battery backup, you know, to keep your alarm going if you lose power. But that battery isn't meant to last indefinitely, is it? It has to be fed by something. It has to be fed by power. And a couple of days later, they had this rude awakening about three in the morning when the alarm battery was trying to reset and the alarm kind of made this awful screeching sound two or three times as that battery was coming back online. Well, you know, I think a lot of us, if we're not careful, we find ourselves living just like that battery does. We live like a, a Christian life, like we're on battery and not on power. And here's what I mean by that is you kind of find the battery will get you through a, a day or so, but without being tethered to the power, without being tethered to the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't have a way to remain in him and achieve anything in him. It's impossible for us. And a lot of us are relying on the past. And we forget that our, our sanctification, our bearing fruit, our discipleship should never stop. It's growing, it's active, it's living. It's not something that was done way back when. You know, if you're a senior adult and you think that you get a pass on this, you're wrong. You're to be growing right now, bearing fruit right now. If you think it's okay that you're living off the last great experience that you had at Disciple Now or Camp as one of our students, you're wrong. If you're waiting on the last quiet time you had a month ago to kind of feed you through, or the last time we had a worship experience in here where we really sensed the presence of the Lord just to carry you through, you're missing the point of what he's saying when he says remaining. It's not a past tense thing. It's not something that remains static. We have to keep growing. And the way we do that is by remaining in his word. Look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. In this command, we see that key word again, remain, abide, stick around. We keep his commands, and we know that as we do his word, we live his word, keep his word, live it out, that God begins us to allow us to bear fruit. And then it affects our prayer lives. We're able to ask God for, for these great things in our lives. And he says, if you remain in me, there's some results that come out of this, but it comes from remaining. 
So let me give you two takeaways from today that I think will help us as we think about bearing fruit for the Lord Jesus Christ. The first is this, remaining is key. Staying connected to the power of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be crucial for us. And if we're going to bear fruit in our character, we have to be uh, tethered to him. We, we can't be in a distant relationship from him. That's not how it's meant to be. We have to be connected to him. I think Warren Wearsby has given one of the best checkups for this so that you can kind of assess where you're at in remaining. He gives a fourfold checkup for you to think about this. And, and I think it's great because when we're abiding and remaining, listen to what Warren Wearsby says. He says that first, we should be sure of his love. We see that in verse nine. If we're remaining in him, we're sure of his love. We're not doubting his love. Second, he says that we're obeying his word. You see that in verse 10. That we're constantly doing our best to obey the word of God. We're not straying from that. Then he says that we have answered prayer in verse seven. We're seeing God answer our prayers on a consistent basis because we're asking things in accordance with the will of God because we're tethered to God. And then he says we should have joy in verse 11. You know, when any one of those things is missing from your life or my life, We've got to do some work with the Holy Spirit as our guide. We have to assess what's going on and ask the Holy Spirit because a lot of times we're blind to it, but that's just when you go before the Lord and you just ask the Holy Spirit, hey, open up my eyes to see the blind spots. Let me see it. I told you I had that conversation with my brother-in-law the other day because we were talking about this and one of the things it revealed to me is that I didn't have joy. I was not joyful. And that's dangerous for us because no joy means that my focus is somewhere else. But it really could be any one of these, right? It could be trusting feelings over the word of God. You get into trusting your feelings over the word of God and you'll wither up and die. You can't do it. You can't trust your feelings. You can't trust your heart. You have to obey the word of God. Are your prayers maybe being continually unanswered? Well, what's going on with that? As we went through our reset earlier in the year, I'm so grateful that we got back into the word of God and got into prayer journaling so that we could see God answering prayers. That's one of the, the greatest things for me to do is just to look back at that page after page and see where God's answering those things that we're praying for. Are you unsure of God's love for you? Well, why? When you spend time with someone who loves you, it's easy to know how they feel about you. But there's the second thing that I want to mention to you, and it's about the pruning Pruning is a necessary and yet very uncomfortable part of the Christian life, isn't it? It's something that we would say is not fun to go through. And many times God has us waiting on him as we remain in Christ so that he can finish off something that he needs to get rid of before we can be used in the kingdom in a greater way. Do you despise those times of late waiting like I do sometimes? We shouldn't, should we? We should know that as we're waiting and remaining in him, that's our job. And God is pruning us so that we can bear more fruit. Do you despise those times and kind of cringe when you see the pruning shears? Kind of like, I just really don't want to go through that. We shouldn't. We need to welcome his work in our lives. The pruning is difficult. Sometimes God allows us to be pruned through circumstances that tempt us and try us. Sometimes God allows us to be pruned by taking something that we dearly you know, want to hold on to out of our control. Sometimes God uh, allows us to go through an ordeal. 
Maybe it's something where we've been through a time of testing in our physical bodies and God allows that to happen so that we have this greater understanding of who he is and he's pruning back something in our character. I hope that today you'll be encouraged to know that if you're feeling the shears of the pruner, the gardener, you'll know that God, far from hating you or being angry with you, is loving you so that you can be more like Christ. Welcome it. Let's just determine to remain in him. This is a test for us. It's a test that we have every day to remain in him. Are you trying to achieve something? Remain in him. Let him do the work. Apart from him, we can do nothing. You know, a lot of times we quote Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that feels really good to us on game day. But it doesn't feel so great when we're just having to wait and remain. And yet the truth of it is we can't do anything, nothing without him. I want to pray for us right now. I want to pray for you if you're in a time of testing. I want to pray for you right now if you've been far away from from the Lord, you don't feel like you're close to him because you haven't remained. You've not been abiding with him. And maybe the Lord will show you right now what area of your life he's trying to work in so that you can lean into that and allow the Holy Spirit by his guidance to start shaping you in the image of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you right now to shape us. We ask you to make us into the image of your Son. Holy Spirit, we ask you as we think about those seasons of pruning, Lord, just to to make us strong in those, to abide. Father, I, I have no doubt that there are some of us who, as we went through that kind of four uh, checklist assessment, we just recognize there's something in our life. We're not joyful. We're not seeing our prayers answered. We know we've not been obeying. Something along those lines, Lord, and we just ask you to reveal that to us, confirm that in our lives, and Lord, bring us back to wholeness. We want to remain in you. We confess on our own, everything we try to do just puffs us up, makes us proud. Forgive us for that. Let us remain in you today. Let us bear fruit. Father, we recognize that as we bear fruit, you'll be glorified. And we know that that's the whole purpose of our lives is to glorify you. So Father, we pray that you'd be pleased with us today and that you would be glorified. It's through Christ Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you today. Thanks so much for being with us in worship. Thanks so much for for enduring right now, for remaining right now. And I just encourage you, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, make today the day. Text us at 615-833-6600. We'd love to talk with you. If you have a prayer concern, text us there. We want to be able to keep up with you today. Stay with the Lord. Stay following the Lord. Keep obeying his word. Stay in his love as we continue to remain in him. We know that God will be glorified. I can't wait to be with you again. I hope sooner than later we'll be together. Until that time, God bless you.